You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Samantha Chris. I'm your host, and today I am joined by coach, speaker, and workshop facilitator, Vesna Antoine. Vesna is a second-generation Arabtina immigrant with parents of Honduran and Iraqi descent. Her mission is to guide soul-seeking individuals in finding their way back to themselves and their inner compass. Before becoming a coach, Vesna worked as an admissions professional in the post-secondary education sector and as a communications expert. She is also a mother to a deeply loving and entertaining seven-year-old. The common thread throughout her life and career has been a deep curiosity and interest in people. Vesna, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Samantha, and hello to all your listeners. And I want to bring it back to 2016, where... You were experiencing an intense burnout at the time, which triggered a year of reckoning, as you call it. And as someone who helps people find their inner compass, I'm curious to know what was that journey like and like that journey of finding your way? Yeah. So just to provide a bit of context, um, I graduated from um, a coaching program here at Concordia University in Montreal in 2011. Uh, And six months after finishing that program, um, I found out that I was pregnant with my now seven-year-old. And at the time when I finished that program, I really felt like I was on the cusp. I thought to myself, yes, um, I'm going to now branch out on my own and work as a coach. And I really had that kind of fire in my belly. Um, But at the time, it just felt easier to go back to my day job. Um, And so for many years, I worked as an admissions professional at McGill University. uh, And my job at the time was working as an admissions officer for the Faculty of Medicine at McGill. So as you can imagine, that was a high pressure job. um, And it was like a very busy job in a very public facing office. And it was one of those jobs where we always felt like we had to put out fires. Like there was always some sort of crisis happening. Um, And just when we felt as though our team was stable, something would happen to kind of disrupt that stability and we'd have to hire a new person. And um, I just sort of noticed that over time, um, you know, I was being asked to do more with less. Um, And yeah, just the demands of the job were increasing. So I think that was one part of what was happening at that time. Uh, And then I think the other part was that a lot of students and staff were coming to me and like unburdening themselves. So they would come to me for advice and mental health support. Um, And because I'm trained as a coach and because, you know, making people feel comfortable, uh, making people feel seen and heard and accepted, those are really kind of very core values to me. Um, So I would often welcome those moments where I could, you know, sit back and put on my coach hat and and kind of help people work through, you know, whatever it was that they were going through. Uh, But what I was finding is that managing, you know, the day-to-day administrative piece of my job, along with doing the emotional labor of kind of being there for everyone else, um, was really starting to drain me. 
Um, and I would say that towards the end of 2016, uh, I was noticing myself just feeling really like disconnected, really feeling anxious, really feeling like, yeah, just not myself, like not sleeping enough. Um, I would ride my bike to work. I would, you know, get to the office and I would think to myself, how did I get here? You know, when you're just so lost in thought and just mm-hmm. so, you know, like I said, disconnected. Um, and I felt like my body was just sort of screaming at me to kind of slow down and stop. And I think there was also at the time the bigger piece that was what I ultimately wanted to be doing was not work in an office. I wanted to be doing something else with my life, but I just had all these fears. Like I had sort of kept myself in these feelings of, you know, you can't walk away from uh, a regular job. You can't walk away from these benefits. Like, what are you thinking? Um, And so, yeah, it was sort of like a perfect storm of all those things. And it sort of all came to a head towards the end of 2016. And I just remember a day when I came home from work and I looked at my partner and I sort of said, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm completely burnt out. Um, And then he sat down and we had a conversation and he's like, you know, whatever you need to do, I'm here to support you. Um, And so, yeah, the next day I went into the office and I sort of said, I've made an appointment with my doctor. Um, I don't know if and when I'll be back. Um, And then, yeah, like I walked away from my full-time job without much of a plan other than knowing that I needed a break and that my, my soul was screaming for something different. And at the time it was interesting. I thought, oh, I'll just take a couple of weeks off and I'll have some time to myself and I'll figure it all out. And then a couple of weeks turned into a year, which was really interesting to me. I think you know, now when I teach burnout, when I talk about burnout, one of the things that I say is that it actually takes a lot longer for people to recover than they think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a quick recovery. Often, you know, once you start to engage in that process of like very deep self-reflection, um, the answers sometimes come quickly, but sometimes they take a little longer to kind of come. So yeah, I think there's a lot of value in allowing yourself to to have that time to do those things. Um, And I want to kind of pause here and sort of say, like, how privileged was I to be able to take that time off? I understand that not everyone has that ability to sort of say, I'm taking a significant chunk of amount of time off to figure out what I want to do. Um, So I was lucky to be in a partnership with someone who supported me during that year. Um, I was lucky to have like a network of people who were rooting for me to kind of do that so that I felt like I could take that time off. And, you know, I mean, I still had feelings of guilt around it, but at least for the most part, I felt really supported in doing that. Mm, That's beautiful. I do think that it is, it is certainly a privilege, but it is still one to to take a moment and acknowledge and to express that, you know, this time of your life, even with that support, couldn't have been easy. No, it was absolutely not easy. And it was really like a big process for me to finally look at the things in my life that I had been actively avoiding. Um, There's this uh, wonderful queer Black Buddhist scholar named Lamarad Owens, and he talks about you know, like how you have to run towards your pain. And I think I spent most of my life actively running away from it rather than running towards it. Uh, and this was a year 
that I you know, now call my year of reckoning because it was a year where I was actively looking at all the areas of my life that needed attention that I had been you know, actively neglecting. So I actually really love that quote and how much it became part of your life. But the concept of running towards our fears sounds horrifying. I mean, the quote is beautiful, but to actually live it, what changes did you have to make or realizations did you have that inspired you to move in that direction despite the fear? So there were many realizations. Um, The ones that stuck with me the most were how, um, you know, as a child of immigrant parents, um, I sort of felt like I was living a lot of my life um, wanting to make sure that their sacrifices were not in vain, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that translated into uh, things like feeling the need to have a permanent, stable, full-time job. Um, I think some of the other realizations that I had at the time, too, was that for me, um, working full-time and being a full-time parent, like those two things just were not sustainable for me personally. I think a lot of people do it and do it exceedingly well. Uh, I personally found that I was sort of failing at both at the time. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was on a hamster wheel and I just felt like I never had a chance to kind of catch my breath. And I would be at the office and I'd be thinking of home um, and I'd be home and worried about work. And it just, I don't know, I just never felt like I was present in any aspects of my life. Um, I think that I also had a lot of realizations around just the fact that, you know, I'd probably been and still am for the most part, like a really anxious person who's prone to depression. Uh, But I think I spent a lot of time, um, you know, not listening to that or or not facing that or not paying attention to that um, until I had no choice to be sort of like, oh, wow, this is actually, like these are patterns in my life. And this is anxiety that has existed for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I was sort of faced with the fact that I had to kind of address it. Um, so those were definitely three things that, that definitely uh, were very present and front of center for me. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing that, was, that became so important for me at that time was just um, paying attention to basic self-care. Mm. I think for a long time, um, you know, I've always been someone who prioritizes health and exercise. Um, but I don't know that I was very intentional about it in those years. Um, so basically I spent an entire year really developing a kind of routine. And I think I'm the kind of person who, you know, likes to think that, oh, I don't want to have a routine and I don't want to be, you know, put in a little box and (laughs) I want to be more free (laughs) and spirited out in the world. But one of the things that I um, quickly realized during that year just the importance of basic self-care things like, you know, focusing on sleep, uh, making sure that I was moving my body every day, uh, waking up saying thank you rather than waking up with a laundry list of all the things I had to do that day and sort of feeling grumpy. Um, writing, writing in a journal became like such an important part of my recovery during that time. 
you know, therapists had told me for years, oh, Vesna, you should write in a journal. And I was always like, yeah, yeah. It is one of those things that we read in books that all the top gurus will say, start your day with gratitude, start a gratitude mm-hmm. journal. But I think there's a huge difference between intentionally going about these activities and taking time to really feel grateful and to really internalize what it is that you're writing down that is so game-changing. It is something that a lot of people have recognized as an activity or an uh, or habit that has allowed them to make that positive shift. And I'd like to dive a little bit deeper just to understand what did the gratitude practice and the journaling practice do for you in those moments? I mean, certainly it shifted your mindset, but mm-hmm. did you feel like it was working in that moment or did it take time to, for you to see the, the impact? Um, I think, you know, I think it was a couple of things. So one was there was just something incredibly powerful about taking the time to do it because doing it meant that I was prioritizing myself. Mm-hmm. So, so doing important. it meant that I was making a small promise to myself. And one of the things that I realized was that those things that sort of feel insignificant, like writing in your journal for 10 minutes in the morning, It's those small daily intentional promises that you keep to yourself that will change your life over time. So maybe in the moment, I don't know if it was necessarily having an impact other than me realizing, oh, this is me doing something for myself that maybe in the past I wouldn't have done because I would have felt like I'm too busy or there's other priorities. And then I quickly realized, no, actually this is the priority because if I don't do these things, then I can't be present for other aspects of my life. And, you know, the journaling, the gratitude, those are two things. But, you know, I would also say that incorporating meditation and breath work, those were other two like very important things that are still to this day parts of my uh, daily self-care routine. Um, so, yeah, and then on the off days when I wouldn't do it, I would notice a difference. It was mm. like something was not quite right, and it was, oh, okay, I have to now make a recommitment to myself to really engage in those things because I know the power and the effect that they have on me personally. And, you know, one of the things that I think we tend to forget is that when we engage in healing practices, not only are we doing that for ourselves, but we're doing it for the people around us. So me writing in my journal, me having a gratitude practice, yes, it benefits me immensely, but it's having a positive impact on my son who gets to see his mom doing something interesting like that, right? It's like Mm -hmm. I'm modeling self-care for him. Uh, It means that I'm like a less grumpy partner. You know what I mean? It means that I can go and coach my clients and I've actively kind of poured back into myself so that I can give to other people, right? So we heal ourselves to also not impose that work on other people. Mm, So important. And I think Mm. so valuable because when we show up fully and we feel full and we operate from that place of fullness. And I mean, there's, I don't think there's any arguing in, in what we can change in the world, the impact we can have when we show up with a full tank versus running on empty. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I talk about this all the time in my in my coaching practice. So, you know, for me, those are my touchstones, but I ask my clients, like, what are your touchstones? What are the things that you need to do? 
when you feel like life is becoming a little unmanageable or stressful, like what are the things that you fall back on? And it's important to have those things because those are the things that kind of provide us comfort. And those are the things that, that kind of nourish our soul. Um, so yeah, I'm always really interested in knowing, you know, like what are people's touchstones? Like for you, Samantha, like what's one of your touchstones in these pandemic times? But what I've consciously tried to do is start each day before I get out of bed. And it sounds so simple, but with 10 deep breaths. And if it comes to me with each inhale, I try to visualize something that I'm grateful for, something that I'm thankful for, something that has made me happy, that is bring, you know, that brings me joy. And I kind of breathe that in and I feel whether it's gratitude or joy or appreciation, I, I try to kind of imagine what that looks like flowing through my body. And as I breathe it out, I envision sending those vibes to whoever needs it. Is that so beautiful? And like, what a wonderful way to set the tone for the day, especially, you know, in our, in these really kind of unusual and challenging times. So the fact that you actively, you know, make that commitment to yourself every morning, I think that's just beautiful. But it hasn't come without effort. You know, I'm of definitely course. the type of person who would, <laughs> I've got the habit to immediately want to grab my phone and start checking mm -hmm. notifications. I'm like, I have a weird compulsion with notifications. They just can't exist. I need to get through them as they come in. <laughs> so it's to fight that urge and to really take that time. And like you said, a little promise to myself that I'm keeping. And I catch myself in the moment sometimes, you know, about to step out of bed without having done it or about to grab my phone or whatever the case is. And to catch myself in those moments in itself actually feels like a little win, feels like a little victory. Yeah, absolutely. And there is scientific backing behind these practices that have proven to show that these things actually make a difference, you know, like gratitude has been proven to counter the effects of anxiety, like deep, good belly breaths are so good for the brain and so good for everything else, you know? So I think... Yeah, I think it's also important to sort of say, hey, there's actually, you know, there's proof that these things actually matter and make a difference. And, you know, on that, I'm someone who really, I wouldn't say skeptical, but I, I would look for the proof in things, right? I'd want to kind mm -hmm. of know how this works, why this works. And I've started to let go of that a little bit. I don't know if it's COVID slash pandemic related or if it just so happens to be that it's, I'm having this shift this year. but. I'm really less focused on show me the proof and really more focused on if it feels good, do it. If and it feels good, do it. Amen to that a million yeah. times over. Yes, yes. I, I want to go back to your journey where mm. you're in this moment of burnout. You are feeling, you know, you mentioned feelings of guilt. You mentioned feelings of depression. I'd like to know when did you realize that your breakdown could very well be your breakthrough? Um, I would say towards the end of that year of reckoning, mm. um, you know, I think like a lot of time had sort of passed at that point and I was spending a lot of time by myself. Um, I was doing a lot of the sort of deep uh, healing inner work that I was, you know, actively engaged in. Um, 
and you know, I think there were also other days when like what my body really needed was just to kind of like lay in bed all day and like watch Netflix, you know, so I don't want to make it sound like, you know, every day I was like very, you know, intent on my personal growth and development. Um, I think there were definitely lots of, you know, lazy days in there as well. Um, but I think at a certain point, and it was really interesting, I, I remember being in uh, like my weekly yoga class and I remember lying on the mat during relaxation, during Shavasana. And I remember just feeling like something left my body. Like it sounds like such an odd thing to say, but it literally felt like all this kind of sadness, all this pain, all this fear that I was holding on to so deeply, I just kind of noticed it leave my body. And it was mm -hmm. such an interesting experience. It was almost like a, like a weird somatic thing where I suddenly like felt myself just relax and like let my shoulders down and just my heart felt lighter. Um, and I would say that that was the first sign uh, to say, okay, you know what, you know, this has been, uh, a challenging and, and, and difficult time for me, but also, wow, what a gift and, and what learning and what growth and what, um, yeah, just self-awareness and, and gratitude for, um, you know, the good things that had happened and also the not so good things, you know? So it was really an embrace of, you know, the messy and complicated parts and beautiful parts that come with a healing journey. And I think we often uh, think of healing as like a difficult and joyless thing, but I want your listeners to know that I had so many moments of joy during that year or two. Um, and it was in telling the story. So in telling the burnout story, in giving the burnout workshops, it was then that I could start to think about those things in a way of, wow, turning pain into purpose. You know, maybe that year that was like a year of reckoning was actually like, no, that wasn't a breakdown. That was actually a breakthrough. Um, and it's been really interesting to be able to kind of take those stories and take that pain and turn it into a story of success and resilience. Um, you know, and, and I call myself a transformational coach and I don't think I could call myself a transformational coach if, my, if I myself have not gone through like sort of significant transformations in my own life, the way that you have and the way that many of your listeners have, right? So um, yeah, it just, it was like a shift. It was like taking, taking that broken heart and, and, and making it, turning it into a, a, a success story or turning it into joy or turning it into something that I could share with others so that maybe that story could resonate with them. Like if Vesna has done it, then maybe I can too, you know? So there was definitely like a hopefulness that emerged following that year of reckoning for sure. There's a power to sharing our stories that not only is so liberating for us as the ones who've lived them, but to see the glimmer in the eyes of those listening well, you start to see that internal shift, that realization of maybe I can do this. Maybe now is the time. Maybe there's nothing actually holding me back. And it's just the story I've been telling myself and starting to see the narrative shift in others. It's, it's a really special, special thing. It really is. And you know, one of the things that also um, happened to me in the, in the years 
you know, subsequent to that year of reckoning is I also, you know, you're talking about like using your voice and telling your story. You know, I think in the past, uh, I wouldn't have, you know, maybe automatically said to people, oh, I'm Arab Tina, or hey, I'm an anti-racist coach, or things like decolonizing wellness really matter to me. Uh, but one of the things that also emerged from that year is just me uh, taking full ownership over my whole self and my identity, my intersecting identities, uh, and just like my ideas and my political views, you know? So I think that has also been a wonderful gift from that year is just discovering the courage to be able to be fully myself and not hide parts of myself that I think maybe might make others uncomfortable. So I'm very, you know, and I wouldn't say that I'm 100% there yet. It's definitely a work in progress. Uh, but I definitely feel like I have come into my own and that I am showing, my, showing up authentically and showing my full self to the world uh, in a way that I never have before. Mm, good for you. Thank you. So for those listening who might feel like they are on the verge of burnout, what mm. is one thing they can do today to help themselves on this journey? Um, that's a really great question. Um, I would say, you know, so when we talk about burnout, burnout is generally work-related. So I think, you know, the first thing I would say is like pay attention to the signs, like what's happening physically, what's happening psychologically, what's happening emotionally. Uh, and then, you know, I think it's really important to talk about it. I think it's important to seek out help. Uh, and then I think it's also, you know, part of recovering from burnout is also, you know, reconnecting to, you know, because burnout is a disease of disengagement, right? Like we get to a point in our lives where we're sort of disengaged from things, you know, the things that normally we'd be interested in don't give us the same energy. So, so how do you re-engage in what you're doing? How do you reconnect to your purpose? Um, and then, you know, I would say that's when, you know, the good self-care habits need to really be re-upped, you know? So sometimes in moments uh, in life when things get difficult, we have a tendency to um, neglect those things, right? So, oh, I'm going to neglect my sleep, or, oh, I don't need to write, or I don't need to focus on my breathing, or maybe I'll skip the gym. Uh, but I think it's in those moments that you have to make a recommitment to those self-care activities because those things will sustain you. Um, and I think, you know, on a, on, a, on a bigger level, on a deeper level, I think it's also about you know, this is, this is a signal. This is a sign. This is a sign that something is not working. Um, so be curious and, and be compassionate with yourself as you're embarking on that journey of becoming curious around what that could be for you. Um, and I would really say, like for me, when I think about my burnout, like the first few months in particular, it was just like physical exhaustion. Like I was really depleted, you know? So if you feel like you're getting to that point where you're feeling so depleted and so tired, then those are big warning signs. So like, just take a break. If you can afford to just take some time uh, and just, yeah, really sit, sit with what's coming up for you. You know, I think, 
in my own life, you know, as I said at the beginning, I think I've, I've always been a little reticent of, of the discomfort. Uh, but one of the things that I learned post burnout is that, you know, the quickest way to cause emotional distress in life is to neglect your emotions. So just sit with whatever is coming up for you and just learn what it could be. And rather than thinking about, you know, like, why is this happening to me? Maybe you can shift that to what is this trying to teach me? Hugely valuable. And I think even for those who can't take time off, there's a commitment you can still make to yourself to sit with yourself and ask that question, right? Let those answers come to you. Exactly. Vesma, thank you so much for sharing bits of your story and some incredibly valuable tools with us today. Where can people find you to learn more? So you can find me on my website. So that is coachvesna, V-E-S-N-A dot com. You can also find me on social media. So on Instagram at, at coachvesnaantoine. I also have my a coaching page on Facebook, which is Vesna Antoine Coaching. And of course, I'm also on LinkedIn. Wonderful. I will be sure to add all those links in the show notes. Vesna, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much, Samantha. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.